Today we focus on love in this Advent season. We've talked about hope, celebrating our salvation in Christ, and that gives us hope. We've talked about God bringing us peace. He's promised to give us peace, and that peace is really only available permanently when we turn ourselves to God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be talking about and focusing on seeing God's salvation with the idea of love, that theme of love behind it. God does love humanity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's who whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, and the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. In Romans chapter 5, Paul, the Apostle Paul reminds us, but God shows his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because God loves the world, he doesn't hide how we can be rescued from sin's grip. We may not realize it, but sin has its hands on us and it holds us tight. We're enslaved by it. The penalty of sin is death, and that's a sure thing to come, separated from God for forever. And God sent Jesus Christ, the Savior, as he promised, so that we can overcome sin. We can't overcome it by ourselves. The world's proved that. We need a Savior, and he sent Christ because he loved us enough to do that, to rescue us. Christianity, our faith, is rooted in the Hebrew Old Testament. And um, Luke makes sure that we don't miss that fact in his gospel. And we've been going through Luke's gospel, and I'm turning back to there in our Advent series to Luke chapter 2 today, because it's in the Old Testament we see how now when Jesus comes, God's promises are being fulfilled. His arrival, his life, and his ministry complete and fulfill all that God promised to do. How does Luke connect the New Testament, Jesus' arrival, with the Old Testament? Well, I had Joe read from Malachi chapter 3 for a reason. The Lord who you're looking for is going to come and appear in his temple. So where does Luke start his gospel? Well, if you go to Luke chapter 1, if you review that, we meet Zechariah. And where's Zechariah? He's in the temple. Serving God in the temple. The shepherds are visited by angels. There's public testimony. Zechariah is uh, being dumb and not able to speak after he saw a vision of the temple was a public event. Simeon and Anna, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at them, are in the temple when Jesus appears as an infant because it's here that God wants his people to know that his Christ, his Savior, has come. Fulfilling all the promises, and, and one of those promises we read this morning in Malachi chapter 3, that the Lord would appear in his temple, so that people would know that the Savior, the Messiah, has arrived. God's love runs so deep, it's indescribable, for Jews and for Gentiles, for all the world. And Simeon and Anna's testimonies at the temple point us and show us that it's no secret. For people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, there is proof that God loves us. The deliverer 
has arrived. So this morning, make sure you see God's salvation. Understand it and believe it. And then tell about his gospel forgiveness to someone you know who's not sure that's true. Show his love and how you live and your kindness acts wherever he's placed you, whether it's at school, at work, at home, wherever we are, show off God's love. And then learn more about God. Be awed. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, come together and and worship him and be awed by his great love and then speak God's truth and do his will when we're scattered. So point number one, God's salvation. God always has a witness. God always has someone to tell about how much he loves the world and what he's done for the world. Joseph and Mary's obedient faith in the Christmas story shows that they were true believers. Their faith was genuine. How do we know that? It's by what they did. Do you say you believe in Jesus? Well, you can show that to be true or your words and actions will show it to be false. We can fool people, but we can never fool God. Belief, whether it's genuine or fake, is seen in our words or our actions. And Joseph and Mary proved that they believed God because they obeyed God. They took God at his word. Jesus took Mary as his wife, even though it appeared that she'd been unfaithful to him. But God commanded him to do that, and he did. They took Jesus to the temple. They circumcised him. They named him as Jesus as they were commanded. They trusted God and they obeyed God. They fled to Egypt when they needed to run for their lives. They trusted God's word. Their obedience didn't earn their righteousness. Their obedience proved that they believed God's word and that he would make them righteous. The righteous live by faith. Mary and Joseph believed what God said. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. We are in Malachi uh, chapter 3. Turn to Luke chapter 2. And let's look at verses 25 through 27. It's here that we meet Simeon again. We talked about him a little bit earlier in our Luke series, but I want to go back to this temple experience. In verse 25 we read, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the, into, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. That's all we know about Simeon, this one scene. Why does God want you and me to know about this story? Why does God want us to know about Simeon? This is all we know about this man. We know so little. But God tells us this because he wants us to ponder this story and the truths that Simeon said. True belief was again at a low point in the nation of Israel. 
<laughs> it happened many times in their history. But it was at a low point again. True belief in God that characterized Father Abraham's faith, the, the father of the Jewish nation, had been corrupted, had been eroded, had become mixed in and the waters muddied. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had different opinions and their legalism and their unbelief had influenced the whole nation. But even in the worst of times, just like that, a low point of faith among God's chosen people, God the Spirit was working, God the Spirit was moving, and he wanted the world to know that his Messiah, the Savior, was come. And Simeon was one of those witnesses. He was a person who was changed by faith, by God's grace working in his life. The Spirit filled him. God always has witnesses around, mixed in with unbelieving people in the darkest of times. How dark do you feel it is now where you live? Evil and wickedness. Our own lives, maybe, are a mess. And then the world around us seems to be even messier. But just remember, Lot was in Sodom an ungodly place. He was a witness to God's light. Daniel was in Babylon, a witness in a very dark city of unbelief. Elijah in the times of Jezebel and Ahab, some of the worst spiritual dark times in the history of Israel, there was a great witness there. Simeon and Anna in Jerusalem right now in Luke chapter two in the temple at a low point in the life of religion and faith in Israel. So I have a question for us this morning, for you this morning. Where are God's witnesses of light mixed in with the darkness in our times? Are you a follower of Christ? <laughs> then you're that light. You're the light for the darkness. I'm going to come back to this, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read these verses a lot. Understand, but you believer in Christ, follower of Jesus, those of you who name Jesus as your Savior, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, marvelous light. You are the light in the dark places. So we're not supposed to run from the darkness, but we're to be light in the middle of the darkness to show off God's justice, his mercy, his great love. There are people where you are that need to hear about God's good, great deliverance through Christ. There are people near you that need to see how God's kingdom life is different than what they know in the world. It's not always appreciated. It's not always welcomed, but that is our calling. There is this unchanging truth, and it's that Jesus is the Christ, and it's that God's plans and ways through faith in Christ give, are to give the world a taste of the kingdom that's coming, and it brings hope to life now because it changes us. We're agents of the gospel of hope. We're sent to declare Jesus' life-giving message. Question, do you really believe Jesus gives new life?
a different life, a better life. And if you believe that's true, are you growing in that life so you can share it with your world, becoming more holy, more like Christ, so the world can see that the kingdom of God is coming and it's better than what we have here? Advent helps us reorient our living so we're in step with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by faith in the God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna were growing in faith and walking with God because they believed God's word, they believed in his Christ. Oh yeah, and God loves people. God loves sinners. God loves the world. It's a message of salvation, and he always has witnesses around in the darkest of times to share that light, be that light. Secondly, God's salvation delivers us from fear. We should have confidence in our salvation. Did you notice when I was reading about Simeon, he says in verse 28, 9, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He had confidence that he was going to go into God's presence. And that confidence that Simeon had is really noteworthy. The grave had lost its terror. The unknown darkness ahead was no longer a fear-causing factor for Simeon. The world itself and its grip of it and its values, its evil, its tendencies, its selfishness, all those things had, had begun and eroded away, had, had lost its grip, excuse me, had lost its grip and hold on Simeon. His time of service in this world, his life was, I guess, coming to an end. He was a pilgrim in a foreign land and his pilgrimage here was about to be over. He had lived his life to glorify God, to help people see and taste God's salvation, his truth and his justice, and now he's ready to experience God's better. And do you know your belief in Jesus Christ makes that possible? Do you have that peace that if you were to die now, today, tomorrow, that you would be in God's hands, that you are going to be in his presence are you believing that so much that you want other people to taste that peace and hope so that you live your life differently, you speak differently, you act differently so they can see that following God has a good ending? God the Spirit enables us to do that. The Spirit gives us confidence that we are God's children. He witnesses to our souls, to our spirits, that we're his child. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Can you say that this morning? This is more than Simeon just being tired of the world's sadness. Are you tired of the world's sadness? Are you tired of the turmoil in your life? But this is more than just being tired of life here. It's, it's more than just being numb without the strength to go on physically or emotionally. It's faith in God that, moved, that moves him and moves us to, 
to want to let the world see that there's hope, that there's a future, that there's life beyond this world, that, that God's better is coming, that he's going to recreate things here. A strong faith wants you to live in harmony with God now and begin to live differently because it's true. And it's more than positive thinking because our positive thoughts don't change anything. It's trusting in the God who can change everything. It's confidence that you know God and you're growing in that knowledge. Belief will remove most of death's terror. The unknown brings fear. Ever been in a place you didn't know? Walk down the streets where you didn't understand the language? Some of you know what that's like. That's terrifying. It's unnerving. Well, death can be like that because it's unknown. But faith in Christ overcomes death's sting. In 1 Corinthians, famous Easter passage, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's true, Paul goes on and says, so, or therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Some of you know this. Uh, my mom's 97 years old. She was in the hospital last week. She lives many hours away. I gave her a call and said, Mom, I'm worried about you. How are you doing? And here's what she said. Don't worry about me. I'm in the Lord's hands. I'm at peace. So if you're a teenager, or if you're 20 or 30-something, or even 40 or 50 or 60-something, and you're thinking, yeah, that's easy for her to say because she's had a pretty long, full life. Well, here's the point for me and for you. Can we say with Simeon, I'm ready to meet my creator. My eyes have seen his salvation. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and I will work here until my days are done here, but I know I will see him. I have lived by his grace. I have been seeking to tell and work like a citizen of heaven in the meantime because I know it's true. Today is the day, if you haven't done it, to ask God to give you faith. Today is the day to grow in your service for Jesus Christ, to start that new life and laboring for Christ because it's not in vain. It's worth it. God is never without a witness. Faith in Jesus Christ makes us his child. And today's a good day to make Simeon's peace and trust in God your own, surrendering your life over to your creator or your God. Thirdly, God's salvation is clearly, de clearly declared. God loves people. Notice Simeon's song. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. That word, now, or behold in some translations, is like that 
Don't miss this. God's working to save his people. My eyes have seen it. My hands have held God. That's incredible to think about, isn't it? God's salvation is embodied in Jesus Christ. And right now, God's salvation was embodied in that moment in the form of a baby, an infant. And God's salvation is visible for all people, a light for the Gentiles who are living in darkness. Most of the world didn't know about the Jewish beliefs or customs uh, that much, or they weren't interested in it. But here they are. Jesus is bringing spiritual light, awakening like the sunrise each day does for the earth. Think about that. Jesus is born, and this light from God is shining out and saying, Look, the sun wasn't very bright this morning, was it? (laughs) Too many clouds. But Jesus Christ is like the sunrise every morning. He's giving light to the world. He's shouting out, so to speak. Here is the truth. Here is salvation. If you're taking notes... I can't remember if I put this in or not, but write down Psalm 98. Read the whole psalm sometime today. I'm just going to read the first three verses, but it's only nine verses long. There's this hope. These words are being fulfilled when Jesus was born, but they're going to be fulfilled even greater when Jesus returns in his second advent, in his second coming. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Those are powerful words. They've come true that first Christmas, and they're going to be coming true again very soon. Show off God's light. Joseph and Mary marveled at the words Simeon had said. Even after they had heard so many things about Jesus already, that visits from the angels and all that's gone on, and yet they're still marveling at what's being told about this new baby, this son of God that they're holding in their arms. Now, there's always some new stuff to learn about Jesus. Have you found that to be true? I believe in him. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to trust you more. And then Anna. Here's this other person, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So here again, we have Simeon and we have Anna, two people we hardly know anything about. And yet God, through Luke, highlights them for us because he wants us to know about these people. Anna longed for Christ's coming. She was looking forward to the Messiah's coming. 
And people of faith through the years have always been longing for God to come, for God to fix things, to straighten out the fault, to, to take away sin, to, to make the world the place it was always created to be. And Anna thanked God for keeping his promises. You and I are in the same position today, aren't we? Longing for Christ's return. If you're a believer in Christ, you should be longing for his return. And while you're waiting in the meantime, like Anna, serving him however you're called, wherever you're called to be, the places God has you, whether you're, you're 13 or 14 or, or 85, God has had you in places and in different ages all your life, different situations, different circumstances. First you're, you're, you're single, then you're married maybe, then you have kids or you have nieces and nephews, you have work co-workers, all these people. God has you there like Anna, like Simeon, for a reason to declare God's truth, to be his light. Waiting for Christ to come back, working for him in the meantime. I have kept the faith, Paul wrote. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on me, with me, on me that day, not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So if Jesus is coming back, do you believe that? Is he going to fix the world? Do you believe that? Do we need him to do that? In the meantime, people need to be rescued so that instead of experiencing his judgment, they experience his forgiveness so that they can come to faith. So you need to live differently if you believe that's so, so that Christ can be seen, so that the world can be changed, so that more can believe, because that's God's plan. God always has people to tell his truth, even in the darkest of times. God's salvation delivers us from fear of the grave like it did for Simeon. That can be our peace as well. Do you know Christ? Have you trusted him? Would you dare to do that and trust your life to your creator and believe that he wants to use you now and that he will dismiss you in peace when he's ready to bring you into his perfect presence? And God has declared his salvation openly for the whole world to see. It's not hidden. Fourthly, God's salvation is Jesus Christ, and he exposes our hearts. In Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So wow, Jesus had come to the temple. Here he was. But he's just a baby. <laughs> so so many people missed it, right? I mean, they thought when the Messiah came somehow, I think it was going to be <laughs> But God came lowly and humbly, very quietly. There weren't any earthquakes. Maybe there was just a little crying baby. He came at age 12, and they were amazed at his wisdom. But they still overlooked him. They noticed him, but... And then in his public ministry, they noticed him when he flipped the tables in the temple, right? Wow, who are you? And he, and he taught regularly there many times when he came to the different feasts. 
He would teach in Jerusalem and people would listen to would come to hear him. But most resisted him. Most refused to believe that he could be the Christ. He came to the temple. And then that temple was destroyed. So what does that mean? James Hamilton, in his book, What is Biblical Theology? I would encourage you to buy that little thin book. Um, talks about the images and the typology and the themes in scriptures. An easy, good read. The tabernacle, remember the tabernacle was the tent and then the temple? Do you realize, if you think about it, they were just miniature models of the heavenly temple, but also God's real temple was where? The earth. He created the earth to be his dwelling place. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were his servants. They were holy and pure. And they, and they served God in this wonderful place that he created for them. And, and that's what the priests were to do in the temple. They were to serve God and, and to worship him there. And, and, but, but sin happened. And it ruined the holy temple, the earth. And it ruined the people that God had made, they were corrupted by the fall. And then God cleansed the earth with a flood. And God cleansed it. He will cleanse it with fire, refiner's fire. And God's glory is going to fill the whole earth. And there's not going to be a temple there because God's there. Because the earth is going to be new and it's going to be his dwelling place. And like God's glory filled the tabernacle and the temple when they were made, well, God's glory is going to fill the new heaven and the new earth. His new tabernacle, his new temple, and all his people are going to be living there. That's one picture. But then there's another picture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what does it say about the temple of God? Do you not know that you are God's temple, that is, believers, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So God's building a new temple. Is he going to build another physical temple? Some people think so. Others don't. But the point here is that God is building a new temple. He's, not building, he's building a living temple of people. The earthly temple was cleansed every year on the Day of Atonement. They sprinkled blood everywhere to make it holy, to cover over all the sins of the nation. And the living temple, the Christians, the believers, are cleansed once for all through Jesus Christ cleansing blood once for all. You're made holy and pure. So if earth is going to be God's eternal dwelling place when the kingdom of God comes, then see this earth as God's temple and serve it in ways that are fitting as holy priests to God. Take care of God's temple, your body. Take care of the earth that's going to be renewed and be his eternal dwelling place. Live a holy life everywhere you go because that's truly God's future dwelling place. So be that kind of servant. You know, Satan loves to uh, make... Uh, make God's temple unholy. He craves to make people unholy. He destroyed the earth when he caused sin, but he's going to fail. 
Back to Malachi. This idea of the temple. And God's going to come back to the earth and he's going to dwell here. And we're going to be with our God forever. But who, verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. Simeon had a similar message. In Luke chapter 2, he says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So this morning we ask, will you remain in unbelief and ruin? Or will you turn toward belief and restoration? Behold, Jesus divides the world. Many stumble over Jesus. He was opposed by the devil. He's rejected and hated by Jews and Gentiles. Jesus brings our prideful rebellion against God to the forefront. I could just see me before I believed in Christ. You're not the boss of me. That's our hearts. And those who say, you will not be the boss of me, will not stand, will not be able to stand in judgment. But there's hope here because it says many will be raised up. Many will be able to stand, and the key is believing in Christ. Jesus' message, his gospel, brings the information our hearts and souls need to know so that those who are weary of sin, that those who are hungry for God's righteousness to fill their lives, can know God's peace. Digest who you are in Christ Jesus Are you a believer in Christ today? Then digest who you are. You're a Levite, so to speak, from the Old Testament. Levites were set apart to serve God in his temple. The physical temple on earth. But now you're the temple of God, believer in Christ. You're a servant. You're a holy priest. You're a holy nation. A royal priesthood. You are called to serve God in his earthly temple and to bring the light of God's glory wherever we go. And you can do it by his grace, by his power and might. It's dangerous to hear the gospel and not believe it. Let's go to D.L. Moody. He preached 100 plus years ago, 150 plus Do you know, here's what he said, do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ proves either a savior to life or a death to death? Sometimes you will hear people say, let's go hear this man preach. And if it does us no good, it will do us no harm. Well, don't you believe it. Every time you hear one hears the gospel and rejects it, the hardening process begins. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The sermon that would have moved you to action a few years ago makes no impression now. 
The hardest people to reach are those who have been impressed and whose impressions have worn away. They've heard it and done nothing. It's a good deal easier to commit a sin the second time than it was to commit it the first time. But it is a good deal harder to repent the second time than the first time. What's the point? It's dangerous to hear the gospel again and again, to not turn your life over to Christ, to trust him as your savior, to ask for forgiveness. It's dangerous to hear and not react, to respond. Advent is a season for us to see God's salvation and then to receive Christ, to believe in him. It's a season to renew my commitment and love for God because I realize how much when I think about him coming and lowering himself as an infant and going through life, and we just sang about it so beautifully, and to remember how deeply God loves not only me, but he loves the whole world and that he loves all of creation, and he left us here to be that light. I go back to Malachi. For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. If you're a believer in Christ, then the Holy Spirit's come into your life. And there's going to be this battle that goes on in your life. God's going to be working, working in your heart and your mind. He wants to wash you. That means you have to fight and give up some things that sins and attitudes that we often wrestle with and don't want to give up or lifestyle or things we're doing or attitudes. He wants to refine them like and make us pure gold and pure silver. That's hard work. It's not easy to surrender, but do you believe it's worth it? Advent reminds us that God loves us and he's called us to be his servants wherever we are in the temple of his world because he's going to make it pure and holy along with those who live in it. Let's pray. Lord God, who can stand in your holy presence? None of us. Not one of us, Lord, without your salvation, without believing that you're the Christ, that you came to save us. Lord, we ask you to save. Continue to move in hearts to believe and trust. Lord, I ask you to make me, make us new people, change people, Make us a beautiful dwelling place, a holy temple, so that we serve you without rival. Turn our hearts away from evil, Lord. Turn us toward your better, toward your perfect and good kingdom will. Lord, we are loved by you, Lord Jesus. Fill us with this peace so that we have assurance and that we lead others to your glory too. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.